right, so here we go. Tonight we're continuing our series, Made for More. And so we've been laying a foundation the past couple of weeks. We talked about the authority of Scripture, why the Bible is our authority that we look to on these topics. We talked about being grounded in our foundation, our identity in Christ. And so this is the week that we're going to start to get more uh, specific when it comes to topics related to sexuality. So today we're going to talk about sexuality as it relates to marriage. So when it comes to the topic of sexuality, I think there's a lot of misconceptions. There's misconceptions by people that are non-believers, and there's also a lot of misconceptions by those of us who are Christians in the church as well. One misconception I want to, we're not going to really go into this today because we're talking about marriage, but one misconception is that you really, you have to get married and that's part of God's plan for your life. That's a misconception. That might not be God's plan for your life. God's plan for your life could be a life of singleness like the Apostle Paul, for example. So there's nothing wrong with that. That that can be a great godly lifestyle as well. So that's one misconception that I kind of wanted to to address real quick before we dive into this topic of marriage tonight. I almost said this morning. So something that Christians have been known for in the past, but are actually less known for now, is the belief that we should wait till we're married to have sex. Lately, people who claim to be Christians have been changing their beliefs on that. I saw this survey uh, that surveyed a bunch of people, Christians and non-Christians, people who claim to be Christians, and 57% of these Christians surveyed say it is always or sometimes acceptable for people who are not in a committed relationship to be intimate. So it is always or sometimes acceptable for people to engage and intimacy if they're not even in a relationship. 57% of Christians say that that is okay. 79% of non-religious people say that it is okay if, for unmarried people in a committed relationship to engage in intimacy, like a boyfriend or girlfriend or, or something like that. 50% of Christians in this survey said it's okay for people to be intimate if they are not in a relationship, just casually. And 83% of unaffiliated people, so non-religious people, Think that as well. Of these Christians that were surveyed, 75% of them attend church less than once a month. So what does that tell us? Well, for one, people maybe aren't taking their faith as seriously as they should, right? 75% of these people said they attend church less than once a month. So maybe they aren't taking their faith seriously. But what I think this really has shown us is that over time, in a negative way, the church has started to look more like the world when it comes to these topics. I mean, you can just look at divorce rates, for example. Divorce rates in the church are about 50%. Divorce rates for non-believers is about 50%. It's, it's sad that the church in this way has come to look like the world, when we're called to be different. But here's another problem we have. Christians who are genuinely trying to follow Jesus are having a hard time doing that partially because of the ways that they were taught to view sexuality. We've been told so many times to resist that part of ourselves. Like when we talk about topics related to that, it's just like, okay, resist, you know, try to be holy, resist, 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 over and over again. 
So we get so focused on resisting sin that we kind of lose our what should be our focus, which is living for Christ, right? Christ didn't set us free from sin to resist sin. Christ set us free from sin to live for him. So this kind of builds up more and more and more as we, we hear, okay, resist, resist, resist. And eventually it's kind of like a balloon, I imagine. People telling you, okay, resist, resist this urge, resist this. And it blows up more and more and eventually it might pop. And issues related to sexuality are causing people to leave the church because they were told so much about what is wrong, but not so much about what is right and why it's right and why we're made for more. I think the best motivator is encouragement. Discouragement can be a good motivator too, right? Don't jump off a cliff because you will die, probably. That's discouragement, right? Encouragement would be like, step away from the edge of the cliff because you're my friend and I don't want you to die. I'm encouraging you to step away. I'm discouraging you from jumping off. So encouragement and discouragement can both be good things. But I think more often we have used discouragement to sway us on the right path in regards to sexuality rather than encouragement. And I think it's important that we have both. But I really want to place an emphasis on encouragement tonight. I want you to imagine you're at home, it's almost dinner time, and your mom is making dessert for you guys, and she, she's making it, she takes it out of the, the oven, it's warm, gooey chocolate chip cookies. Does anybody like chocolate chip cookies? I love chocolate, Brianna loves chocolate chip cookies. My mom would make some of the best chocolate chip cookies. So she takes out these warm, gooey chocolate chip cookies. They look so good, but what does she say? She says, don't eat them until after dinner, right? Don't eat them until after dinner. But now what's your mind thinking of? All your mind can think about is this chocolate chip cookie. You're like, I want the cookie, right? Maybe you're you're sitting at the counter and you're just looking at these cookies constantly. That's all you can think about. You're looking around to see if anyone's looking to see if you can grab one. You're just told don't grab the cookie until after dinner. But the cookie looks nice. You want this cookie, right? This cookie is hot. This cookie has nice curves on this cookie. It's a thick cookie. All you can think about is, I want this cookie. But your mom told you, oh, we're going into it tonight. Here we go. But your mom told you, no cookie. And maybe, maybe she mentioned a little bit about why, but why is it important for us to maybe eat dinner before dessert, right? Well, here's the deal. If all we did was eat cookies, cookies are like butter and sugar, right? So you kind of become what you eat a little bit. If you just eat cookies and that's all you eat, you become a thing made of butter and sugar, like this blob that doesn't do anything. If you just eat cookies and that's all you eat. So we need to have that healthy dinner that gives us the vitamins, the proteins and stuff like that, that we need to eat to live, to be healthy before we have the cookie. In the same way, it's important for us when we're talking about the topic of sexuality and sex, it's important for us to first have a committed, healthy relationship, a marriage between a man and a woman before we engage in sexual behavior in our life. And so tonight, I'm not going to try to use discouragement to tell you why sexual immorality is wrong. Instead, I want to paint a picture for you of marriage, a picture for you about the beautiful, amazing thing that God has made us for. 
So we don't just focus on resisting the lust. There's a place for that. The Bible talks about resisting sin, right? But tonight, I want want us to not just focus on resisting the less, but rather on living in the more that God has created us for. So we're starting out tonight in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verses 22 to 23. It says, In the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. The first point tonight is that you are made for loyalty. You are made for loyalty. So Eve, this is Adam and Eve, right? It kind of gives us a zoomed up description of the creation of man and women. Adam and Eve. Eve is made from the rib of Adam, not from the head like she's better or above him, not from the foot like she's below him. She's made from the rib because she is equally created in the image of God, just like Adam is. And Adam says, at last, you are the one that I've been waiting for. Adam did not have another human being with him. Adam was alone. Adam was, was, he had God, right? But he didn't have another human being. He was working. He was exercising dominion, God's dominion over earth, but he had to do this alone. And God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I'm going to create a helper that is fit for him. So Adam sees Eve for the first time. He says, at last, this person is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Now we can look at that verse and say, okay, maybe he's thinking, this is somebody that looks like me. They have bones like I do. They have flesh like I do. And that might be true. But this actually has a deeper meaning than that. He's saying we are connected. We're the same. But it's more than that. Adam here is making a covenant with Eve. Adam is expressing his loyalty to his wife that he's seeing for the first time. Here's why. The Israelites associated flesh with weakness Because flesh is something you can just cut into easily. And they associated bones with strength. Because it's harder to break a bone than it is to cut into flesh. And so there's this thing that they would say sometimes where they made a pledge or a covenant, a promise to somebody. We see this in 2 Samuel chapter 5 when David is anointed to be king. Uh, 2 Samuel 5.1 says, Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. So they're pledging loyalty. They're saying, we're your bone and flesh, strength and weakness. We're going to be with you in your strength, in your strong times. We're going to be with you in your weakness, in your weak times, in all circumstances. We are making this covenant to stay beside you in bone and in flesh, in strength and in weakness. And so Adam is saying to Eve, no matter what happens, I'm staying with you. No matter what happens in weakness and strength, In sickness and health, for better or for worse, I belong to you. That's the covenant that Adam is making with his wife Eve. Did you know that you were made for loyalty? You weren't made to to be with a guy who's texting other girls. You weren't made to to be with a, a girl that's more consumed with stuff that's on her phone than what's going on in your life. You were made for loyalty. You were made for someone who will be loyal to you when you're sick. Someone who will be loyal to you when you're sad, when you're happy, when you're young and healthy and fit, or when you're old and wrinkly and fat. You are made for loyalty. I want to show you guys uh, a picture here. 
this is my grandparents. And so this is at me and Brianna's wedding. My, my grandparents were there. And my grandparents, uh, my grandpa passed away uh, the very end of 2020. So they were married for 62 years. They got married when they were 19 years old. And they stayed together for 62 years until my grandpa passed away. This is a picture of loyalty. Did they fight? Yes, I heard them fight all the time. You know, I remember one time my grandma and grandpa were driving in the car and they're driving home, it'd been a long day, traffic or whatever. And my grandpa's like, what are we having for dinner? And my grandma's like, chicken. He's like, chicken, we always have chicken. I want pizza. So they fight about you know, all kinds of things. I'm sure you guys have heard grandparents fight. But they also had a lot of good days, right? And they did kingdom work together. They went on mission trips together. They raised kids. And, and so they built this legacy together for years and years and years. For the good times, for the bad times, for the loss, for the sickness, for the health. Married at 19 years old when they're young, healthy, beautiful people. Stay together all the way into their 80s when they're old. That is a picture of loyalty. And they stay together because Christ was at the center of their relationship. That's why they stayed together. Their loyalty to each other was a reflection of God's loyalty to them. You were made for loyalty. That's what you're made for. You're made in the image of God. You deserve to have loyalty like this in your life. You deserve to have a person that's gonna stick with you through thick and thin, through it all. You're made for loyalty. Genesis 2.24 says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Here we go. All right. So next point tonight, you are made for intimate connection. You are made for intimate connection. There's a couple of things that we see here. He says, first of all, the man, he leaves his father and mother and holds fast to his wife. So leaving and cleaving, right? Man and wife become one flesh. And this is an intimate in sacred union. Man and wife are physically, spiritually, emotionally, and mentally connected to one another. God created sex to give us the ability to experience an unparalleled connection to another human being. And so with that connection comes three things that we're going to talk about tonight. Pleasure, reproduction, and bonding. Okay? Pleasure, pleasure reproduction, and bonding. So the first one, pleasure. So to encourage us to have this unparalleled connection with another, another human being, you know what God did? God made sex feel really good. That's what God did. That's what he did. Song of Solomon is his book. Song, all right, I will elaborate. Here we go. Song of Solomon. All right. Song of Solomon is a book of the Bible. Some people call it the rated R book of the Bible. It's about... Sexual pleasure between a husband and a wife. That's what this book is about. I'll just give you guys one little, there's a lot of verses in here. I just get one little highlight. Solomon 7, verse 6 through 10. How beautiful and pleasant you are, O loved one, with all your delights. What do you think the delights are? I don't know. Your stature is like a palm tree. Your breasts are like its clusters. I say, I will climb the palm tree and lay hold of its fruit. Oh, how your breasts can be like clusters of the vine and the scent of your breath like apples. I don't know if they had apple juice for breakfast or something. And your mouth like the best wine. And then it switches to the woman, 
uh, woman's point of view. It goes down smoothly for my beloved, gliding over lips and teeth. I am my beloved's, and his desire is for me. So this is the Bible, you guys. This is in the Bible, okay? So the Bible talks about how God created sex to be a pleasurable thing between husband and wife. Desiring sexual pleasure is not something to be ashamed of. God made it that way. God gave you hormones biologically for pleasure. That's what he did. And that's not... Can you think this is the garbage? Okay. It's all good, man. I was that... I mean, you're in high school, but I remember when this happened, uh, I was at church, and I was like this little seventh grader laughing in the back, and everyone was looking back at me like, what are you doing, man? It's all good. So... But that is not all that God made it for. What we tend to do is we tend to isolate pleasure, which is the part of what sex is. We isolate it, though, and just act like that's the main thing. That's what it's all about. But that's not the main thing. That's not everything that sex is about. And that is especially what our culture has done. But God didn't make it to be just a pleasurable thing. If you isolate one part of something, then you're missing out on the entirety of of what it can be. I'll give you an example. How many of you guys can drive a car? Woo! All right, awesome. Jordan. I don't know who to be afraid of out on the road. Okay. So, in driving a car, there's a lot of things you have to know how to do. You have to know how to turn the car on. Actually, first, you have to know how to open a door. But then you have to know how to turn the car on, right? You have to know how to put it in reverse, drive in reverse. You know how to uh, adjust your mirrors and windows and things like that. You got to know how to go, step on the go pedal, step on the brakes. You have to know how to turn. You have to know exactly how fast to go according to the speed limit. So there's a lot of things and a lot of important aspects for you to have a good drive. There's a lot of things that you have to know about driving. But let's just say you took one or two of those things. Let's just say you focused on one thing, and that was the only thing that you knew about driving, and that was to go. You didn't know how to step on the brakes. You didn't know how to turn. You just knew how to go. You might have fun. You step on that pedal, you're going, and it might be fun for a second, but eventually what's going to happen? You're going to crash into something, right? You're going to crash into something because you only knew one part of it. In the same way, when it comes to the topic of sex, that's something that, that has a lot of different parts to it. If you just focus on pleasure, like that's the main thing, you're going to crash. You, you got to have more than just that. And if you look at it and you step back and you look at it in its entirety, then you're actually going to have more pleasure than if you just focus on pleasure in the first place. Because you might have a little bit of pleasure when you step on that pedal and press go, but that pleasure is going to be short-lived, right? But if you know how to brake, if you know how to turn, if you know how to stop, if you know all these other different things, then you could actually have a pretty decent drive, right? And so it's important that we don't just isolate one thing. It's important that we don't just isolate pleasure and say that's what sex is about because it's about more than that. This is how we do this even in church. So the world isolates pleasure and says sex is just all about that, but in church we do that too. I saw this meme. Uh, yeah, here we go. So there's this, there's this thing called epic Christian memes, and it's pretty funny. So it says Christian, get married, God, level complete, free play unlocked. So basically the idea is, okay, marriage is this thing. This is the point of marriage. I'm looking forward to marriage because that's when the free pay level is unlocked. That's what marriage is about. 
all these fantasies, all these things I've been dreaming about. That's, that's what my marriage is going to be like. Free play, unlocked mode. Well, is there some truth to that? Absolutely. Mar- you know, sex and marriage is made to be pleasurable. But if we just make it about that, then you're missing the point. You're actually also going to miss out on all the good stuff that God wants you to have in your marriage. Because it's not just about pleasure. The second part of marriage, I mean, of sex in marriage, is reproduction. So, here's a question. If sex was really supposed to be just about pleasure, how come you can make another human being? That's pretty crazy, right? You can make another human being, okay? That's, that's kind of amazing. That's an amazing miracle. And you guys might be like, oh, there's birth control. You know what happens literally every day? Someone on birth control gets pregnant. That happens literally every single day. God designed sex to be something that was reproductive. You know God's first commandment in the Bible? His first commandment was not, don't eat from the tree of the garden in this, in this particular tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. His first commandment wasn't, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's his most important commandment. That's the greatest commandment, but it wasn't the first. God's first commandment was, I want you, Adam and Eve, to have sex. That was God's first commandment. You don't believe me. The first time God talks to people in the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. It says, and God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. So be fruitful and multiply. That's the first thing God tells them. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every little thing that moves on the earth. Just before that, in verse 27, it says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So there's a lot of detail. We're not going to go super detailed into that. But basically, God creates people in his image. God wants for his image and his glory to dominate over his creation. He says, have dominion, that means dominate, authority over my creation, okay? Here's how you're going to have dominion over my creation. Make lots of babies and spread out and have dominion over my creation. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill up the earth and subdue it. Spread my glory throughout the entire world. And the first way God commands us to do that is through children. They're raising children. So they're raising kids in a way that they would honor God with their life, that they would reflect the image of God in their life, bring glory to God wherever they go. That was God's first evangelism strategy that we see in the Bible. So, sex is for pleasure, for reproduction. The third thing here that we're highlighting today is that sex is for bonding. The Bible says Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become what? One flesh. They shall become one flesh. Genesis 2.25, the verse following says, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Later on, in Genesis 4.1, it says, Now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. Here's why I put these verses together. Sex is about fully knowing and being fully known. God did not create us to feel shame. 
It says Adam and Eve, they became one flesh. They were naked. They felt no shame. Now, is that talking about like they're physically naked? Yeah, there's that aspect to it. But it's not just that. It's about emotional vulnerability, mental vulnerability. Be completely open to another person in every single way. Fully knowing and being fully known. Marriage is a place to be completely open with your spouse in every way and feel no shame about who you are. This is why, if we just use sex for pleasure, this is why it leads to so much brokenness. Because part of it is bonding. So if we're just using it for pleasure, that means bonds are being formed and broken over and over and over again. Bonds that are meant to last forever, that God created to last forever, are being formed and broken over and over again. And that's why it leads to brokenness. Even biologically, when, when you physically have sex, the hormones, oxytocin and vasopressin, are two hormones that are released in your body, and they cause you to feel bonded and emotionally connected to the person you are intimate with. God designed it to be this way. If sex was just supposed to be about pleasure, then why would God create hormones that make us feel emotionally connected and committed to somebody? Why would God do that? Because it's not just about pleasure. And in fact, the stronger your bond is with a person, the stronger those hormones, the more pleasure you're actually going to have. And so God's design for marriage, God's design for your life in this committed marriage relationship is actually designed not to take pleasure away from you, but really to amplify pleasure in your life as well. So God was the creator. He made sex to be this beautiful, amazing thing in the context of a committed marriage relationship between man and wife. It's a crucible. You guys know what a crucible is by any chance? Crucible. I didn't know the first time I heard it either. So a crucible is like in science class, maybe a phrase you hear, maybe not. It, it's something where it could be a vase, it could be a, a, a glass cup kind of thing where you mix chemicals together and it's a place that gives them an environment to bond together. Like when you're mixing chemicals in science class, uh, you don't just pour it out on your desk, right? You put it in something. You need to give them a safe place to bond because otherwise you just pour it out on your desk. It might not bond together the right way. It might burn a hole through your desk, right? Something like that. That wouldn't be good. So a crucible gives them a safe place place. It gives these atoms a safe place to bond together, and that's what God created marriage to be. Marriage is a safe place to both bond and have this kind of intimacy and pleasure with another human being. It's a safe place for the bonding to occur. It's a crucible. The last point we're talking about tonight is that you are made to represent Christ. So first we talked about you're made for loyalty, you're made for intimate connection. We talked about the three aspects of that being pleasure and uh, reproduction. And the other one I just missed, bonding, thank you. The last thing here is that you are made to represent Christ. What does representing Christ have to do with sex and marriage? What does it have to do with that? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So Paul, the, the writer of the book of Ephesians, he's referring back to this passage of Genesis we just looked at. And then about it, he says, this mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Your relationship with your spouse represents Christ and 
the church. That's what the Bible is saying. Well, how could it do that? What did Jesus do for us? He gave himself. He sacrificed himself. He is faithful to us through the good and the bad, right? Through the strength and the weakness in our life. Love gives. Love doesn't take. Love seeks to give. If you're in a relationship with someone, they just want to take stuff. They want to take your time. They want to take your energy. That's not love. Love is about giving. Love gives. The Bible says God gave his only son. Love sacrifices. Love puts others first. Love is faithful, committed. And God made marriage and sexual intimacy to be all of those things. It's a picture, in a way, of his faithfulness to us. But you cannot fully grasp the meaning of love if you don't know Jesus. You might get a picture of it, but you can't fully grasp it if you don't know and you haven't experienced the love of Christ in your life. Maybe you're hearing this and, you know, hearing, hearing this topic of marriage and, and how great it can be. But you feel like, you know what? It sounds nice, but it's too late for me. I already messed this up. I already did this thing over here. I already looked at this thing over here. I'm too broken to experience what God made me for because of what I've done. But Jesus came to make that right. Because even though you were living in the less, Jesus came to show you that you can have a second chance to live in the more. He paid the price on your sins. He took that less. He took all of it on himself, all that shame on himself. So you can have eternal life. So you can experience what you're made for. And so then, like last week, we talked about my identities in Christ. Now I'm a new creation, right? And so as that old creation, I can't see how I deserve these things as, as an image bearer of the king. But now that I'm a new creation, I can see, yeah, I deserve someone that's going to be loyal to me. As a new creation, I can see, yeah, I deserve an intimate connection with someone. I'm not a one-night stand kind of person. I deserve Someone's going to help me represent Christ in my life. Someone that's willing to wait for me. Someone that's willing to go through life thick and thin, weakness and in strength with me. That's what I'm deserving of because I'm a child of God. Maybe it's hard to believe that, but you can believe that when you come to the cross and Jesus picks up those broken pieces and he puts you back together and he shows you that you're made for more. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for what you spoke tonight through your word. And God, I just pray for all these students, God, as we're dealing with the topic of marriage and sexuality, God, that something would ring true, ring clear to them, God, that you would help us to show, help show us that your way is better, that life is not just about resisting sin, but about living in the more, about walking in our faith with you, God. Lord, we pray that you would equip us, ready our hearts, God, for whatever you would have for us in our future, whether that's marriage or singleness, whatever that may be, that we would live and walk in sexual integrity, God. Most of all, that we would see that your way is the best way for us to fulfill all those desires that you have given us in our heart when it comes to this topic. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.